0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stories of Us. I'm your host, Sharipin Reddy. Today I'm here with Shreya Nandanampati. Shreya is the founder of the South Asian Student Association at our school, an organization that aims to advocate for South Asian culture and bring the community together. Thank you so much for being here, Shreya.
1: Thank you for having me as a guest.
0: So what inspired you to start SASA and the South Asian Student Association?
1: Um, so Lambert, the school that we go to is a highly South Asian populated school and I used to go to a private school that was in comparison very white and there were not that many Asians there in general so when I was coming here in freshman year I think I had this perception that people would embrace their culture fully and it would be a place that people would celebrate and express their heritage. But instead, I saw that it was the complete opposite. Um, People made fun of each other for being brown, or if someone brought Indian food, they would be criticized and laughed at. And I think that this especially frustrated me because I thought for once, I would be able to appreciate my culture. And I think that seeing this made me realize that, in fact, I wanted to fix this problem. And after thinking and talking to many of my friends, I realized that this issue was deeply rooted in the fact that we live in a society where non-Western cultures are often ridiculed and there was no space for D.C. students at my school to be themselves and talk about D.C. things. On a day-to-day basis, you hear and you see so many things within our community Mm -hmm. and there's not really anything or like any organization that tackles that. And I think that all of this as a whole is really essential to understand and think about.
0: Right, and talk to me a bit about what Sasa is doing to kind of like bridge that gap in the community, and the Desi community.
1: So SASA does a lot of things. It's, its main goal has always been to raise awareness and advocacy on issues within the South Asian community while building a place for support and relationships. And I think when it comes to raising awareness and advocacy, our biggest thing is Chai and Chat. Chai and Chat is the discussion space for the Desi community to come together and talk about issues we generally wouldn't feel comfortable addressing with our parents or peers. I think we've had some really important discussions so far about important topics such as parental pressures on college and academics, stigma against mental health body and beauty standards, especially with colorism, um, the struggle of living between two cultures. Um, We've also done different fundraisers to raise money for South Asian-based nonprofits in America, like Raksha, which is an organization dedicated to help women who are dealing with domestic violence, or SALT, which is geared which is geared towards racial justice and civil rights. Mm -hmm. And also while doing all of this, we try to do community building activities like picnics and group movie nights. And I think the combination of all of these events has allowed Desi students from different grades to meet others and expand their social circles. And another really cool opportunity we got recently was to volunteer at a middle school during their India cultural day. And I think that me and some other SASA members got the opportunity to teach students about the art and music in South Asia, and, we, and as a fun activity, we taught them how to make lotuses out of origami. And I think this is a really special experience, because when I look back on middle school, I think I would have really appreciated learning about my culture. And for the Desi and non-Desi kids, I think this is really crucial to show how conversation about our culture should be normalized and celebrated.
0: Yeah. And I think often growing up Indian American, we're kind of like you said, always trying to connect the gap between like our personal culture at our home, as well as like the more westernized culture. So talk to me about like some of the struggles you have experienced growing up Indian American and how you overcame them.
1: So when I was growing up and going to middle school, I think I faced a lot of confusion about what identity or what culture to fit in with. And oftentimes I would try to try to straighten my hair or not wear Indian clothes or not bring Indian food to school because I was really, I was really afraid to show my culture. And it was something, it was an insecurity that I often felt. Mm -hmm. And I think as I was growing older and figuring things out, that was something I've learned to basically unlearn. Right.
0: Right. And I especially like the work that Sasa has done with Chai and Chat because I know mental health and discussing about parental pressure is not something you can go to a counselor to talk about. Right. So have you seen any like change within the members when they had this safe space to discuss such issues?
1: Yeah, um, so because I think Chai and Chat is specifically designed as a space for individuals to talk about and open up on issues pertaining to our, our community specifically, it allows us to look at ourselves on a deeper perspective and in ways that we usually wouldn't have. And I think I was able to gauge this impact through my peers in many ways. After each meeting, I would have a lot of responses from it, from people who attended or some of my own friends. Um, I've had people that come up to me that told me that they really enjoyed the meeting and that they found it very beneficial. And I've also found people that said that they couldn't relate to many of the discussions going on. And I think that both is okay because it's important to remember that there's not a universal experience for all Daisy kids. And also, I could see that people started to think about the things that were discussed in Chai and Chat. And some of my friends told me that some of the things that we've talked about in meetings that came up in their daily lives and with conversations with other people. So I think that in overall, I've seen a lot of change within the members. And I think it's provided a lot of insight.
0: Right. And I think a lot of the issues that you address in Chai and Chat, like you suggested mental health, Mm
1: -hmm. is like.
0: Like, oftentimes I feel as if, like, cultural activism is a really difficult sector because a lot of times our culture, which is rooted in, like, decades of history, Mm
1: -hmm. kind of,
0: you know, conflicts with the more progressive ideas that we have as, you know, Mm -hmm. Indian American. So I guess, what is your perspective about that and, like, how do we address
1: that? So I think with cultural activism, there's a lot of different issues um especially in south asian culture like there's mental health there's lgbtq rights there's feminism racism colorism and there's a lot but i think one of the really important ones is mental health so recently there was a show that came out called never have i ever and yeah this is and this is a really important breakthrough in the south asian community because i think it talked about the dual cultural experience of being a first generation immigrant. And specifically one of the things that I found was really interesting in this show was, I think it addresses the stigma against mental health, especially with Desi parents. It shows a common dynamic in many South Asian families where mental health is not talked about. And obviously I think across the board, mental health is a conversation that's new to us, but it tends to be that South Asians are a lot more backward about it. So you see like where our feelings and our mental health is not always discussed and in fact disregarded and I think something really important was you see there was this tension between the mom and um, and the daughter in this show who both are unable to express their feelings and it leads to a very important moment towards the end where they come to a common ground because of their emotions towards each other.
0: Right. And, like, initially I didn't necessarily have that analysis that you just talked about, about mm-hmm. how the, you know, show actually brings more awareness into this dynamic between not only, like, Indian and Welsh- Western culture, but also, like, the relationship between Desi parents and, like, the issue of mental health. Like, initially mm-hmm. when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is just, like, a fun show to watch, and I, yeah. like, couldn't really relate to it because the premise of the show, well, spoiler alert, was just her trying to get with another guy
1: but yeah Um, definitely um yeah I think the show was super important because I think like like you said like without realizing it addresses so many of the common problems and experiences that I think like an Indian American girl goes through yeah it does a good job of just showing like her normal like coming-of-age problems like a guy she's attracted to or just like normal like academic rivalry but it also shows, like, these cultural problems that she goes through, like, as a first-generation immigrant, whether it's, like, about arranged marriages or or just anything in general. Yeah.
0: Going back to mental health, mm-hmm. I can completely relate to this on the fact because I feel like, especially growing up in our community, like you said, where it's mm-hmm. very heavily Asian populated and we're all kind of, like, expected from the day when we were born to, like, go to Ivy League schools and whatnot. I, yeah. We're kind of, like, breeded for it. And it's mm-hmm. very difficult to approach that conversation because sometimes mm-hmm. the reason for our lack of better mental health is because of the expectations our parents have on that. Mm-hmm. So I think, mm-hmm. what is your suggestion to like better approach these conversations with our p- parents about like more progressive issues, whether it be like mental health, LGBTQ rights, or you know, colorism, or anything like that?
1: I think in general, um, when we talk to our parents about any difficult conversation, it's important to understand that they grew up in a very different world than us. So talking to our parents is can be very difficult, especially for first-generation immigrants. We grew up in a very different world than that of our parents, um, where ours is very multicultural and we grew up in very different ideologies and we tend to be a lot more progressive and talk about different things more often. I think as a general statement and through my own experience of the world, I think a lot of times people are unable to truly understand something unless it resonates with them on a deeper or more personal level. And I think when it comes to things like mental health or just anything in general, I think we should have more conversations with them. We should educate ourselves alongside with them. Um, So when, for example, like recently with the whole Black Lives Matter initiative, I think my parents have understood that the incident that will happen with George Floyd recently and the police officers was not right, but they do tend to be very confused about the riots and the protests going on. And I think that many times brown parents just often shut the opinions of their kids out. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, like mine are just like, yeah, whatever. I don't think you're right, blah, blah. And, right. and I think it's important to recognize that this is not a one-time only conversation. Mm-hmm. This is something that will have to be ongoing and continuous. Like, for example, like if they make any racist remarks, you'll have to correct them and tell them why they're wrong. And if you run into a scenario where you see a Black person and they act or say something racist, you have to correct them. Mm -hmm. I think anti-Blackness is a very serious issue that we really need to address because from years and years of just systemic racism, I think we've all created an implicit bias towards different races and ethnicities of people. And that is something we're going to have to actively unwork.
0: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as well. Like before this entire Black Lives movement always like kind of like ignited like a fire across our nation, we mm-hmm. always kind of knew that racism still exists in our society. Mm-hmm. and yeah. But we didn't always acknowledge that we were perpetrators of like microaggressions and like small acts of racism as well. Like for example, I can remember like the countless times where I came back from the airport and we we're on like Marta, right? And so, like, an African-American man, like, enters the same train as we were. Like, my entire family, like, we would bring our bags closer to each other. And those kind of acts kind of show, like, racism implicitly, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And I can also totally agree with the entire statement about, like, they're really confused about the riots, because a couple days ago, Mm -hmm. I was kind of explaining to my mom about... The reason why we have civil rights in this nation and maybe you can talk a little bit more about this as well is because african americans fought for our civil liberties during the 1950s in the civil rights movement and that's why we have like a better standpoint in our society today and she understood yeah. that part but then recently when like videos of riots and everything are showing up she they kind of, they kind of like revolted to that same framework of not necessarily being deliberately racist but like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, about
1: right. So it's just like small, subtle things that you notice.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess since we got into that conversation, tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about how South Asians, along with other Asians, got like the tagline about being like the model minority and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, this is actually something that's really important to know and learn about, especially right now with this conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement. And and like over the past century, that's when Asians started to be more prevalent in American history. And so basically this model minority myth is this large generalization of Asian-Americans where we're considered as hardworking or really successful, polite and obedient. When in reality, this isn't true at all. It's just a myth. This idea was created by white Americans in the 1900s to drive a wedge between Asian Americans and Black Americans. And it was to create this contrast between the two as Asian Americans were seen as hyper-successful while Blacks were seen as unaccomplished. This is important to know because the large numbers of professional like East and South Asians and high-paying careers That we have today is due to the National Immigration Act of 1965. This was passed right after the Civil Rights Movement where the CODA system was repealed and it allowed for a large influx of Asians to immigrate to the U.S. All of this as a whole is can can be tied to today when we see when we even think about our own school community. As a South Asian like in 2020 We see many Asians in the media or just in our own lives who tend to be very successful. I think knowing all of that is super important, especially as a South Asian in 2020, because we need to be aware and cognizant of how even Lambert students themselves tend to be on the more successful side. Um, I think that many of our parents came from very skilled and intelligent backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and many of us wouldn't be here today if it weren't for this immigration act that was created in the 1960s
0: right and I think like you said we take our privilege and the location we live in like we live in Forsyth County which is like literally like the 16th one of the wealthiest
1: counties yeah in in the
0: entire nation and we can't necessarily understand or empathize with the perspective of I guess systemically being oppressed because although we may have had racist actions towards us we've never been like actually historically oppressed or prevented from getting, like, higher positions in society. Mm -hmm. But I think the frustrating thing for me about this was, um, before all this Black Lives Movement is that a lot of us were actively, like, perpetrators of, I guess, racism because Right. Tell me if I'm right, but, like, there's so many Indian guys that use racial slurs.
1: so, (laughs) so frustrating.
0: Yeah, and I wish we were just a lot more acknowledging of that and, you know, actively said, no, that's not right. And I think that attention, although unfortunately has caused a lot of like chaos, it is happening now.
1: Right. So I think having said all of this, I think South Asians do need to recognize that this is also their battle as well. Like the Black communities, activism, the civil rights movement has allowed us to be here today and... And in order to stand in solidarity and to support them, I think there are many ways we can be actively anti-racist and um, be a part of this initiative. And I think there's multiple steps to this. Like one, I think the Asian community, we need to vote. We need to encourage South Asian parents and young adults and whoever can vote to go to the polls and ballots, whether it's local elections or whether it's for the presidential race in November, I think again, we have this notion where we feel as if we don't need to be part of this or be active in politics and just stay in our own direction. And this is a really harmful and wrong idea to have because just in general, um, politics is not a personality trait because it affects everyone in some way or form and it's our right and it's our obligation to be involved with all of this. So alongside with that, I think, again, like, we need to have uh, difficult conversations with their family or friends. With, when it comes to anti-Blackness bystander, and a lot of the people around you to say anti-Black things, like the N-words, like, one of my biggest pet peeves, I cannot stand it when people say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's just don't, and then if someone says, like, the protests are bad, explain to them why it's not. And with the microaggressions, like you need to like stop that or tell someone why that isn't right. Right. And um, I think we should challenge racist things whenever we see them, when it's with both our parents and our friends. Also, whenever we see informational videos or articles, we should share those with them and let them be educated along with you. There's a lot of people on social media who are putting out lists of ways to learn about Black Lives Matter through movies, TV shows, books, and podcasts. And I think it's important to watch and listen to those with our parents. Right. And I completely agree with you that it's like we
0: have to be actively like anti-racist because Mm -hmm. I think for years upon years, we've been ingrained and kind of coddled in this community where Mm -hmm. unknowingly we have those tendencies and in order to kind of like break that barrier we definitely need to like you know actively make sure that we're conscious of our actions conscious of our friends actions and support this initiative
1: yeah it's not enough to just not be racist you have to be actively anti-racist Right, right this has just been like a systemic oppression for like over 400 years and asian americans like we generally don't do much we're just we're just told and it's like ingrained in us to just go in our own lane own direction don't cause a disturbance just make sure you're successful focus but on getting
0: good college basically <laughs> right yeah
1: it's just go a go good college and get a good job like that's it but that's that's not right at all it's just harmful and it's it's important for us to be able to stand for other communities and other people when they need it right and i think we can further do this by donating also um i think we should encourage our parents to donate their money to black lives matter and use their money to support black-owned businesses i there's a lot of and also if you can't donate i think there's a lot of youtube videos in live streams where the number of times you watch it, it adds to the amount of money the user donates. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a really important way to support this. Um, And I think, um, and I saw a video about this recently, but it's to basically donate our skills. A lot of people think that supporting Black Lives Matters Mm -hmm. means that you have to protest, um, but you can contribute to the cause in a way which is best suited to the skills you already have. For example, like if your parents are lawyers, you can help provide legal counsel. If Mm -hmm. your parents are IT folk, you can help Black businesses with advertising or building websites. If your parents are doctors, you can provide medical assistance. Support however in the way you can. Use your education to empower these marginalized voices. Use your niche, use your skills, support Black-owned businesses, companies, initiatives, however in the way you can.
0: Right. And, like, I definitely can confer, like, last night I was watching the video that Hasan Minaj released. Right, yeah. If we watched it. And the surprising thing was, like, he's basically advocating for exactly what all you said. It's really important for us to get involved and, like you said, use our skills so that we can empower the marginalized communities that actually empowered us in history. So, I think that's yeah. a really important point.
1: Yeah, it's, it's 2020. Like, we don't have time to just sit here and be silent. Like, we're done with oppression
0: (laughs) right right and i'll definitely we can work on making a list of all of the different resources and also link it to the bottom of the podcast and on the topic of hassan minaj what are some i guess south asians in our community in society that are like really empowering this uh, us and this Mm -hmm. entire movement
1: the first one that comes to my head is mindy kaling like like i said about the show like never have i ever I think her and the whole entire cast have done a really good job of just bringing conversation about the South Asian community into the picture. Oh, oh, um, I think Superwoman has done a really good job of being a good representation of the South Asian community. I think she's one of the early ones who's been there for a while on YouTube. There, there's this monk, his name is Jay Shetty, he's re- he's a retired monk. And, he has inspirational. Like he's like inspires us. Public <laughs> yeah, he speaks. Us.
0: He's he like like talks about
1: mindfulness and yeah, talk, meditate right. Yeah, and like a very mod like in a modern setting. Right. So I think yeah, Jay Shetty is an excellent source of inspiration. I think there's also some other super inspirational, like CEOs. Satya Nadella, who's, who's he's a CEO of Microsoft. Oh, another really important activist is Jamila Jamil. Yes. Um, Yeah, she is an actress on The Good Place. And she's also done a lot of advocacy on body positivity. Right, um, And I think she's created her own organization. Jamila Jamil has some very important things and conversations that she's involved with. I think the biggest thing that comes to my head is she had this like Twitter battle with, with the Kardashians. It was, I think they were promoting Fit Tea and she was telling how this was super harmful and towards girls who are learning towards how to accept their bodies. And right. and it's just, it's very body negative and it's something that's just super damaging to girls. Yeah. And I think she was super successful enough where she was able to shut them down and they just stopped promoting Fit Tea. So she's done oh. a lot of impactful work, Yeah. Which is done, yeah, which has just changed for the better, yeah. I definitely think there's, like, been a shifting paradigm
0: where there's we see a lot more South Asians in media, media and they're getting a mm. lot more attention, I
1: guess. That just makes me proud. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, there's also another one I was thinking of, Rupi Carr. Oh, yeah, yes. How could we forget Rupi? I know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Rupi Kaur is a South Asian poet. She's also a Desi-American girl, and she writes a lot about her bicultural experiences, mm-hmm. and her poems are really amazing if you read them. They're very simple and very minimalistic, but they're very powerful. Right. And yeah, and very, like, moving as well, too. Mm-hmm.
0: And I actually gave my mom, she's currently reading Milk and Honey um, oh, my by Rubikar. Yeah, and she's, like, I think it's really important. I guess that's another way we can, like, introduce our parents to, like, I guess, the hip, hip culture of right now is by, like, letting them read books created by, like, our generation and, like, earlier generations.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, because whenever I watch Hassan Minaj, like, my parents always come in the room as well. I think they really like his shows, and, yeah. yeah, and I think slowly, like, exposing them to different types of, like, South Asian media, it it will really allow them to, like, be educated alongside us so I think that's something that's super important
0: right right I guess, what is something that you see for the future of Sasa or it can just be for like the South Asian community? Like what are your hopes and expectations? In the
1: future, I think I would really love to see Sasa being branched out into different high schools and middle schools. I think it's really important to have a space to express and talk about South Asian identity, especially as a teenager. I think that this is a really important time in our self growth. And it's where we start to learn and make sense of who we are. And our culture is a really important part that needs to be understood. And having a place to learn about our culture and also about others will really help us on a personal level and will allow us to take a step forward and becoming a truly diverse world. So to get like a South Asian organization at middle schools is something that's on my plate.
0: I guess winding down on this conversation, what is next for you and what are your
1: future aspirations? Right. So I think all the work I've done with SASA has really allowed me to get into the sphere of activism. And I think I've learned a lot about the world. I've learned a lot of interpersonal skills and a lot about myself. So I think in the future, I would like to get more experience and exposure to bigger and broader South Asian nonprofits using SASA and the work I've done, I want to support other organizations however I possibly can. Especially in the next year, I want to reach out and be able to work with them. And I think going into college as well, I want to be in a city where I can work for a mission-driven South Asian organization and take an active stance and giving aid to those who really need it. So yeah, I think my biggest goal in the near and far future is just extending my involvement from a local to more global community yeah
0: well thank you so much Shreya, for being on this podcast of course